He's that good. Good. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, when I was uh, talking to Trevor, trying to figure out a good date for me to, to come up here and speak, um, originally we were talking about possibly doing it in February, and obviously that, that didn't work out. Um, so he said he thought there were some open dates in March, so he walks me back to the calendar uh, back there. And he said, we have the, the 5th and the 12th that are open. And so he's like, I, I think I'm going to try to do something for Purim on the 5th. So that, that leaves us with the 12th, if, if you want to take that. And I read on the calendar, daylight saving time begins. And it was at that moment that I realized uh, that I'd been set up. So well played, Trevor. Um, but it is good be, to be back uh, with all you guys today um, to continue my series on the spiritual disciplines um, Somehow I've managed to cram a three-week series into a year and a half. Uh, so that's, you know, some people say that's impressive. But um, truth be told, it, it actually is a perfect time with us being in the season of Lent. Um, if there were only one time throughout the year in which we focused on the spiritual disciplines, it would be during this time, right, when we're talking about prayer and fasting and meditation, confession. These things are all very central to the theme of, uh, of Lent. So uh, very apropos. Um, Because it has been so long, uh, I wanted to give a brief reintroduction of the topic. Um, And this topic really, uh, it it really just serves as a reminder. Um, Whether you've been walking this faith for uh, decades or whether you were just recently confirmed, you know, within this past year, uh, there is nothing new or groundbreaking here, uh, I assure you. Um, It is something that you already know. Uh, It's just hopefully, you know, we can shed some light on things or think about it in a little bit different way. These concepts uh, of the disciplines themselves are very simple, but they're not easy, as we'll come to find. So the inspiration for this topic came from this book, uh, Celebration of Discipline, which is uh, by Richard Foster, and it is just uh, an excellent book. I can't recommend it enough. I know Trevor's gleaned a lot from it. He shared maybe about a a month and a half ago or so on some of his learnings, so just, just a really fantastic book. Um, And in it, uh, Foster beautifully articulates what the practice of the disciplines look like, how they should manifest in our lives, and even some of the struggles that we will encounter as we're trying to work through these disciplines in our life. One of the focal points that he talks about throughout the work is that God has given us these disciplines as a means of receiving his grace. They allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can start transforming us. Um, One of the recurring themes is that disciplines will lead to freedom. The book discusses 12 classical disciplines, and it breaks them into three different categories. The first are the inward disciplines. Those are um, prayer, fasting, meditation, and study. And these really set us on a course of internal examination and change. Then there are the outward disciplines, which are simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And these prepare our hearts uh, to interact with those that are around us. And then there's the corporate disciplines of confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. And these bring us near to one another and to God. So in previous sermons, I've already talked about uh, the inward and the outward disciplines, or at least some of them. So uh, those are available if you're interested. They're floating around on the internet somewhere. Um, And I can personally use the boost on my YouTube views. Um, But today I'll focus on the corporate discipline of confession. So um, originally I was going to do confession and worship. Um, but as I started writing it, it was going to be way too long, and I realized I just wouldn't be able to do it, you know, both of them just if, if I, justice if I tried to bring them both in. So maybe I'll circle back another time to do, um, to do worship. But uh, one of the primary reasons why I picked those two of the four is because few things on this earth make me more uncomfortable than public uh, confession and worship. So uh, here we are. 
Um, so the discipline of confession. 1 John 1, 9. You don't have to turn there. I'm sure all of us know it. Maybe it's not the address. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Foster begins this section with a quote from Augustine of, of Hippo. The confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. The act of confession is one like most of the other disciplines that we tend to make a lot harder on ourselves than it really ought to be. Uh, I don't think anyone here would argue uh, that we are all a, a fallen and a sinful uh, creature. Um, it's something that we acknowledge in our own personal lives, and even corporately, when we're doing the presentation of cells, we're always talking about how we're, we're fallen, and we acknowledge that before God. When it comes to our personal sin, though, um, we tend to think that all of a sudden, we are a lone individual in the presence of saints. Um, that rather than seeing our brothers and sisters as fellow uh, sinners who are just struggling with the same fleshly body that we have, um, we see, through, see things through a, a veil of shame. Like as if everybody else is walking along this path of righteousness that we just can't seem to stay on ourselves. So it's in these moments uh, when we often forget that forgiveness is at the very core of God. We don't have to convince him to forgive us. It's part of who he is. His redemptive plan for humanity was present at the beginning. It's a process that started in the garden and was finished out Calvary. It's a truth that I believe each one of us in this room understand not just because we've read it in passages like the one that I just spoke about, but because we've all been there in the hopeless, miry clay that David writes about, and God was faithful to, to pull us out. So it's something that we've experienced. Um, with that in mind, uh, I wanted to share a little bit of mine and Stacy's story. Um, so that uh, throughout high school, um, Stacy and I went to uh, a youth group uh, to uh, the Grove Church. Back then it was called VCC. So we went to the high school youth group together. Um, and... Uh, every year they had a summer camp, so between our junior and our senior year, so this was about 2002, uh, we went to our church, church summer camp, um, and this was just youth, it wasn't a family camp, but um, uh, Stacy and I weren't dating at the time, we knew of each other, uh, we had some shared friends, but we never talked, never really hung out or anything like that, so um, one night after all the camp activities were, were over and everybody was sent to their cabins uh, you know, to go to bed, um, Stacy felt that she really wanted to, to talk to me. So she, uh, she couldn't find me, so she ended up, uh, for some reason, getting the, the loudest and, and most obnoxious guys in our, in our youth group to come, and he was happy to announce in front of a, a cabin of teenagers that I was in that a girl wanted to talk to me. So that, that went over great. But um, anyway, so I go and I meet Stacy. Uh, we met outside behind, uh, behind the chapel, there was a nice, you know, public seating area. Um, so it was, it was nighttime, and I don't know where our youth leaders were, but we were, we were just out there. It was private, so we were able to talk. And um, so we sit out on this bench, and I'm already nervous. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on edge. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting straight ahead on this bench. She's sitting here looking at me, and I didn't want to do anything risky, like make eye contact. So I'm just focused straight ahead. Um, and so she starts talking. And she goes into the series of one of the sweetest and most uh, heartfelt uh, series of compliments that I had ever received in my entire life. Um, she had talked about how um, I was a, a, a person whose character was not like a lot of the guys that she had met. She could tell that I was a young man of integrity, um, of honesty, 
And she could tell that I loved God with my actions and with my speech. So she goes on, and after she's done heaping these like wonderful words on me, um, she, in complete vulnerability, she kind of quietly pauses uh, and waits for a response. So me, I'm still staring straight ahead and very stoic and emotionless. I open my mouth, and my response is, you don't even know me. Silence. Um, so I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I actually was trying to do to be those things that she had said. But I was the only person who knew how badly that I was struggling with a habitual sin at that time in my life. And it's a sin that, you know, something like a very high percentage of young males struggle with uh, in this wonderful age of the Internet that we live in. So I'll let you all connect those dots. Um, so I did try to live my life that way. And I was hoped that that's... I hope that that's what people saw in me, um, but it you know just wasn't the case. And I, I tried to be a good dude, you know, in high school. I was you know pretty good. I was no Jeff Travis, but you know who who is? You know, I was close. Um, but anyways, I had Stacy in this year, you know, heaping these these wonderful words upon me. Whereas in my own thoughts, and in this year, I had the evil one telling me that I was a liar, that I was a fraud, that I was a hypocrite. So my problem was, along with being an idiot, was that I didn't feel forgiven. I didn't feel like I could be delivered from this sin. Uh, it was also at that time when I happened to come across Hebrews 10.26. Is anyone familiar with Hebrews 10.26? Let's uh, flip on over to that little gem. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Hebrews 10.26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Not exactly a cool passage to read when you're struggling with this, this grip that sin has on you that you feel like you can't get out of. It might be a little bit out of context because I think it might be talking more about apostasy, but when you're a teenager, who cares about context? Um, so I had confessed my sin regularly before God. I felt like His grace could cover my sin, but I didn't feel that. I didn't understand my desperate need for the discipline of confession in its entirety. So reflecting on that story, uh, I, I learned two very important lessons. The first is that um, you will probably meet your future spouse at summer camp. So if you wanted to go on June 8th, if you're not married, you should probably go. The second is the importance of corporate confession and accountability. Paul tells us in Timothy that there's one mediator between God and man. And that mediator is Jesus Christ. That's obvious. I don't think any of us would argue with that. Also, James tells us that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. These two things are not at odds. It's not one or the other, it's both. Um, that's a practice that we should be doing together. Foster often quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, throughout this work, um, and he's, he wrote Cost of uh, Discipleship and a number of, number of other works, but I wanted to read this, this quote from him. A man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother knows that he's no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God and the reality of the other person. As long as I'm by myself in the confession of my sin, 
everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, sin has been brought, has to be brought into the light. We are an experiential people. Um, I've heard, and probably you, probably all of you have heard, an analogy that Dr. Stokes has given, in that he can walk uh, an engaged couple through marital counseling, right? And this couple can go through all the preparation for the wedding. They can plan the date. They can get the venue. They can order the cater, do all these different things leading up to the wedding. They can walk down that aisle after they get all fancy and, and dressed up, and he can uh, pronounce them man and wife after they uh, share their vows in front of their loved ones. Later on, if he doesn't sign the wedding certificate, technically they're not married. But that couple will be off on their honeymoon feeling very married with every fiber of their being. Now, conversely, a couple can forego all of that. They can head down to the courthouse on a random Tuesday in their sweatpants. They can sign a few documents and go through a couple procedures and then go home feeling, or go home and be technically very married, but they might not feel that way. And I think this principle this kind of has a shared common sentiment. Uh, when we go to our brother or sister in confession, they're a physical and tangible representation of Christ. And they receive that confession in Christ's stead, and they forgive it in Christ's name. So now time for some practical application. On the giving of a confession, Foster quotes St. Alphonsus Liguori. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who he is, but his name sounds Italian, so we should pay attention. Liguori wrote... For a good confession, three things are necessary. The examination of our conscience, sorrow, and a determination to avoid sin. So for the examination of conscience, it's a time when we are revealing ourselves completely before God and trying to see what He sees. In this time, we need to be prepared to address specific sins. A generalized confession can only get us so far, and I think that it shows a lack of seriousness towards the issue in trying to address the sins and confront them head on. Um, I do want to point out, having said that, that I'm not saying to avoid. I'm only saying to avoid these generalized confessions when we're talking about personal sin. There's a lot of times in the scriptures when uh, someone is interceding on behalf of a people group or a community where they're talking about general sins that they might not even be participating in. That's definitely appropriate, but just when our our personal sin, we want to be specific in calling those things out, as that will ignite the forgiveness and healing and, and all those good things. Um, the sorrow that Liguori references isn't merely just an emotional response. Um, it's viewing our sin the way that God sees it and being completely appalled by it. We should be filled with uh, such regret that we don't even try to justify our behavior before him or anyone else. And the last component to the confession is the determination to avoid sin. And this, in my opinion, is what uh, makes the confession or the uh, discipline, what makes confession a discipline as opposed to just a, con uh, a grace that we receive. Um, the discipline of confession begins a course of action. It's not a mystery that our sinful flesh has certain tendencies that we'll struggle with, uh, and that might be just for a season or it might be for a lifetime. True repentance is not simply halting the sinful act, but it's course-correcting back to the path of righteousness. Now, on the receiving of a confession, there's also some internal work that needs to be done as we prepare ourselves to minister to one another uh, in this way. 
First and foremost, we need to have a mind that truly understands the work of Christ on the cross and the fact that it was our sin that put him there. If we have a clear picture of how vile our sin is, we won't be so appalled when we hear the confessions of another. Anyone who takes solace in the mindset that their sin is not as bad as someone else's is not ready to conceive, to uh, receive the confessions of someone else. And I've definitely been guilty of that before myself. Uh, we also need to be prayerful that we reflect the loving forgiveness that Jesus embodied during his time on earth. We need to be uh, comfortable sitting in silence if need be. Um, I know that that is awkward, so a lot of times we'll try to make things less tense by cracking a joke or saying something offhanded. Um, But that can really just be a distraction. I know it's something that we try to do to make the other person comfortable, um, try to be, you know, breaking down those walls, but we really don't uh, want to interrupt the process. Um, Lastly, and probably the most important, is to pray over this person. And in that prayer, you want to uh, declare that Jesus, our Messiah, has atoned for their sin and tell them that they are forgiven. Um, if you want, uh, flip with me to John 20, 22 through 23. John 20, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So again, as you're receiving the confession, and I know we know this, but just to kind of clarify, we don't have the authority ourselves to forgive sin. What we can do is boldly declare that God has forgiven their sin through the work of their son. Right, that's all we're reiterating, but we do that out loud so that they can, they can hear it and receive that. As we do life together, we're bound to hurt each other in the process. That's, that's just human nature. That's the way that it goes. The giving and re- the receiving of forgiveness is a fundamental part how we, as fellow believers, can restore one another. Foster closes out his commentary on the discipline of confession with four things that are often mistaken for gi- for forgiveness, so I'll I'll summarize those points, try to do that pretty quickly. Um, The first is that the act of forgiveness is pretending like it doesn't really matter. You know, that didn't really hurt that bad, don't worry about it. That's not forgiveness, that is avoiding the issue, and it's also trying to avoid the pain. Um, So we need to avoid that. The second one uh, is that forgiveness means the hurt that we experience is going to cease. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that we may continue to hurt a long time after we've forgiven our offender. Um, and that's okay. Just because you are still hurting does not mean that you are, have not forgiven that person. Thirdly, many believe that forgiveness means forgetting, right? We've all heard that, con- that cliche, uh, forgive and forget. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that that is not the case. We can't just forget. We're human, what we ought to strive for is not to maliciously hold that memory against the other person. So we need to kind of separate the two, but think that just because you can't forget it doesn't mean, again, that you're not, li- you're not living in unforgiveness. And finally, many people think that when we forgive someone, we need to pretend like the relationship is exactly the way that it was before. Unfortunately, that's just not possible. 
Um, there is uh, an opportunity through, through prayer and, and the work of God that it can even be better than it was before. But it will never be the same. And we just need to be okay with that. Uh, all this stuff is so simple, but it's not easy for those that have, have gone through it. As I close, I wanted to leave you uh, with this story. So a few months ago, uh, I was out in the front yard of our house, and I was talking on the phone. Um, and Ted and Sam were playing in the front yard as well. And when they're in the front yard, they like to play a game where anytime a car drives by, they jump in the bushes and try to hide from the car, um, and, and then they'll pop out. So I'm on the phone uh, in the driveway. They're doing their thing, and this car drives by, slams on the brakes, reverses back right in front of me, and the driver gets out starts coming towards me. So I look over at where Ted and Sam were, and Sam booked it in the house. So I know something's going on. And so the driver comes up, and he's, he's a little perturbed. Um, and he informs me that my kids were throwing rocks at his car as they were, as they were driving, as he was driving by. So I yell for Ted, and immediately pops his head out of the bush and, and comes straight over to me. Um, Ted has never officially learned or said the Hail Mary prayer, but I could tell by the look in his eyes that he was petitioning for anyone and everyone to ask God for, uh, for protection in the hour of his death. Um, so he comes over. And when he gets there, before I could even say anything, um, he goes on to full-on earnest confession mode. And he is, I am so sorry, sir. Um, we were throwing soft tree buds. They weren't rocks, but it was really stupid, sir. I'm sorry. Did we hit your car? It'll never happen again. And the man was kind of taken aback by it. And he ended up just shrugging it off. And he said, I just want to make sure that, that it doesn't happen again. So we assured him that it would never happen again. And I further assured later on that it would never happen again. Um, and he drove off, and, and that was that. Um, as parents, we know that our kids are not perfect, right? Sometimes we expect that they are, or that we hope that they, you know, operate in a certain way, but we know that's not a realistic expert expectation. Um, but with my kids, when I see them mess up, when I see them blow it, and then on their own, they recognize that, they take ownership of that, and they confess for whatever offense that they did. And they truly try to make restitution for what they did. And I know by their words and by their, their expressions, their demeanor, that they're going to try to never do that again. There is a sense of joy that I get in seeing them work through that process. Many times it comes much later as I'm still, you know, dealing with the emotions in the moment as, as a human. But I, I think that um, is how uh, our Father views us when we approach confession in this way. Um, when we try to implement the discipline of confession in our lives, uh, we'll find that it does bring joy and healing and celebration. And above all, it brings reconciliation with our Creator. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is righteous and he will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So uh, bow your heads with me and let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you today and we're just thankful. Thankful for these simple reminders uh, and these disciplines that allow us to, to see you um, and to experience you and to um, catch glimpses of your loving kindness and your mercy. Um, I pray for all of us in this congregation that uh, no matter 
what we are struggling with, uh, whether it be bitterness, whether it be anger, whether it be lust, whether it be malice, fear, sexual immorality, or addiction. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would break the grip of the sin that keeps us from seeking your forgiveness and experiencing the physical and the spiritual healing that comes along with it that your scriptures promise to us. I pray for each of us that you would help us to have the resolve and the compassion as we're doing this life together, that when someone is struggling, that we would uplift them and that we would be able to minister to each other in this way. And I pray for all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.